Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with an introduction to Esther as we pick up in Esther chapter 1, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. The book of Esther is not in a chronological order in these books of history. If the book of Esther were placed in a chronological order, it would have to actually come before the book of Nehemiah. Ezra records the first return from the captivity. Some 40 years later, Esther came on the scene, and some 40 years after that, Nehemiah came on the scene. So the book of Esther fits about halfway between the rebuilding of the temple the decree given by Cyrus, and the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, the decree given by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah. About halfway between fits in the story of the book of Esther. And the story of the book of Esther, though it doesn't mention the word God, yet God's overruling providence is seen throughout the entire book. The Jews hold this as one of the most important books in the Bible, and it is a very beautiful story of God's preservation of his people. So the book of Esther begins with an introduction to her husband, who was the ruler of the Persian Empire, ruling over 127 nations of the ancient world. He is the Xerxes of secular history, called Artaxerxes, or called Ahasuerus, or Artaxerxes, but he is the Xerxes of secular history. And he was having a great feast for the lords, the princes, and all that lasted for almost a half of a year, about 180 days of feasting. And so you can imagine in that length of time you get pretty well glutted to where, you know, what's new after that length of time. So he decided that he would call his wife Vashti into the feasting area. Now in that culture, of course, the women and the men were kept publicly pretty well separated. And... uh, the king had his harem, and uh, he also had his wife, the queen, but along with her was quite a harem. 
And he decided that he would send for Vashti that she might come in and probably without a veil so that the men could behold her beauty because she was a very beautiful woman. And so just sort of seeking it would seem to show off her beauty to these other men, he called for her to come on in to the feast. But Vashti refused to come, which in that culture was just something unheard of. Women were actually considered just one step above a slave. They had very little rights. And when Vashti refused the king's commandment to come in, all of the rest of the fellows said, hey, king, you're going to have to do something about this because when we get home and our wives hear that your wife refused to come in at your command, we're not going to be able to handle the women. And so you've got to move dramatically and drastically in this case. One of the astrologers suggested to him that as a punishment for her disobedience, she be deposed from her position as queen, that she be placed out of that royal position and no longer be the queen. And this punishment was decided upon Vashti so that she was deposed from being the queen. And so... After these things, chapter 2, the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased and he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servant that ministered unto him, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. Now, the feast that he had was the feast in preparation of his unsuccessful invasion of Greece. And uh, before two of the great battles of history, this feast was sort of in preparation of that so that between chapters 1 and 2, he then went off on this expedition against Greece. And so between the two chapters, there's a lapse of about four years' time. And so he, he went on this unsuccessful adventure against Greece and he has now returned and settling back at home again and he remembers Vashti and probably begins to miss her a bit. And so his servant said, hey, you know, why don't you have a beauty contest and uh, Miss Persia and uh, <laughs> gather together all of the beautiful young virgins in the kingdom and let them come before the king and whichever one pleases the king the most, let her become the queen in place of Vashti. And so there was in Shushan, which is the winter palace of, which was the winter capital of Persia and there the king had his winter palace. 
It got too hot in the summertime. They had a different summer palace, but it was a great place for a winter palace. And uh, there was there in the city a young girl whose name was Esther. She was a Jew. And her cousin, Mordecai, who was actually a descendant uh, of the same family of Saul, a Benjamite, and he had raised Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And Esther was very beautiful, very fair. And after her father and mother died, he took her as his own daughter. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and decree was heard and when many of the young girls were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Hegei, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Hegei, the keeper of the women. And she pleased him and obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her the things for purification with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens which were uh, necessary for her out of the king's house, and he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. For Esther had not showed her nationality nor her family, for Mordecai, her cousin, had charged her that she should not show it. Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther was faring and what had become of her. Now when every, ma every maid's turn was come to go into King Ahasuerus, after that she had been for 12 months, according to the manner of women, so were the days of their purifications accomplished. That is, they spent six months bathing with oils of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the women. So can you imagine a beauty shop of that caliber spending 12 months to uh, fix you up. And afterwards, then it came every maiden unto the king, and whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. So they were brought in, spent an evening with the king, and uh, then they were placed in the harem. And they were not called by, they, they were just taken care of and all as a part of the king's harem, but they may never see the king again unless he was pleased and would call them back, but they just became a part of the harem. Now when it came Esther's turn to come into the king, she required nothing special, only that which Hegei, the king's chamberlain, told her that she should wear. As far as the apparel, all she just left it up to him. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all of those that looked upon her. And Esther was taken unto the king Ahasuerus into the house royal in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he had set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. 
Then the king made a great feast unto all of his princes, all of his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces. He gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat at the king's gate. And Esther had not yet showed her family nor her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like when she was brought up with him. Now it so happened that in those days, Mordecai was hanging around the gates and he heard a couple of the king's servants plotting to assassinate the king. And so Mordecai reported to Esther, and Esther certified or told the king using Mordecai's name. And so they had a big inquiry, and they found out that the assassination plot was for real. Therefore, the two men who were plotting against the king were hanged on a tree, and it was recorded in the Chronicles of the king. And as we get into chapter 3, after these things, the king Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And the king's servants that were with the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servant, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spoke daily to him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And so when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then Haman was full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had shown him the people of Mordecai, and he sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. So in the first month, that is the month of Nisan, or April, in the twelfth year of the king Ahasuerus, they cast pur. Now pur is a lot. And so they cast lots before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, and that is the month of Adar. In other words, he was wanting to set a day for the extermination of the Jews. And this was in the first month, and they began to cast month by month the lot to see what month they should exterminate them, sort of following a superstition. And, and the lot fell on the 12th month, which would be the month of March, because they started with the month of April. So it brought them around to the month of March that the lot finally fell uh, on that month, the month for the extermination of the Jews. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out something that to me is fascinating. This fellow, Haman, notice it says of him that he was an Agagite. Now, Agag was of the nation of Amalek's. 
And the Amaleks, or the Amalekites, were always a type of the flesh in the Old Testament. Now, you remember when Samuel came to King Saul, he said, God wants you to go out, go down and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all of these people. Don't leave anyone alive of the women, of the children, or don't take any prey or, or any loot not even their cattle, their sheep, don't take anything, utterly destroy everything. And so Saul went down against the Amalekites and God gave to him a victory over the Amalekites. However, he did not obey the voice of the Lord. But he saved alive the best cattle, the best sheep, and also he saved alive Agag, the king, and no doubt others of the king's family. So as Saul was coming back from the battle, Samuel went out to meet him. And Saul greeted Samuel, saying, As the Lord liveth, I have done all that God has told me to do. And the prophet Samuel said, if you did all that God told you to do, how come I hear the cattle? And how come I hear the sheep? He said, oh, well, you see, they were so nice. Fat, good animals. We decided we would bring them back and sacrifice them unto our God. And Samuel said to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken more than the fat of lambs. And he said, you have done foolishly and because you have rejected God from ruling over you, so God now has rejected you from ruling over his people and the kingdom is going to be taken away from you. Because of his disobedience, not utterly destroying Amalek, saving Agag alive. Now, here, interestingly enough, this fellow Haman, who several years later, some 600 years or so later, Haman now is seeking to exterminate the Jews. Now, why would God make, first of all, such a horrible kind of a command to utterly destroy them all? Looking at the picture in Samuel, it seems like maybe God is very cruel in his demand. Yet, because God can look down the road and see what lies in the future, he realized that if he didn't destroy them all, there would arise one day one of the descendants that would seek to destroy all of God's people. Had Saul been obedient to God, Haman would have never existed. 
and his edict and his attempt to destroy God's people would have never been. God could see that far in advance. But when you get into the type, it becomes even more obvious because Amalek is a type of our flesh, the flesh life, living after the flesh. And God has ordered that our flesh be put to death. If ye by the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, then ye shall live. Know ye not that your old man was crucified with Christ? God does not have any program of reform for your flesh. Paul said, I know in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. And God has ordered the complete extermination of the flesh. Not to live after the flesh, not to walk after the flesh, but to reckon that old man, the old nature, to be dead. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Esther on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Esther 1 through 3 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. May you feed this week upon the Word. May the Lord just open up your hearts to the understanding of His truth and cause you to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May He give you just a beautiful, blessed week walking in fellowship with Him.
This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues, even to the present day, to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts. But we were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on. To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.